Welcome to the teaching ministry of Pastor Michael Jacobs. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. Uh, something Dr. Dufres, uh, Dufresne said that I wanted to discuss. Let's go in the New Testament a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 35. And of course we've taught this a lot to you over the years about not being distracted. How many remember that? But I want to look at it from a little different angle. I want to read the verse first of all, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.35. I know that he's talking here about uh, marriage relationships, virgins, and being single versus being married, and etc. But he makes this statement in verse 35 that I think helps us a great deal. And this I speak for your own profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but that for which is calmly, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Now I think the context is pretty clear that he's talking here when you don't have a family and a mate and all that. You could devote more time to the Lord without having other commitments that are legitimate that are going to take your time and you have to pay attention to things. But there's a, a twofold meaning here, at least I've been preaching it that way and I think it's a good one uh, because he talks about profit and there is spiritual profit to be attained if we'll learn to attend upon the Lord without distractions. And I always use that about worship or your prayer life or your study time and not being distracted. And of course, Mark 4, I'm not turning there. Mark 4 talks about the different soils and how the cares of this world, the lust of other things, uh, deceitfulness of riches, those things enter in and choke the word. So again, that's distractions. Yes, so let's think about this though. Dr. Dufresne made this comment. He said, don't get an appetite for the wrong things. And he was talking in, in his personal life when he was a younger minister, how that he had some, when he pastored in a different city in California, close to kind of over towards Beverly Hills there a little bit. He had some people from Beverly Hills that were in his church and they'd send a Rolls Royce for him, he said. And they'd take him shopping to coffee shops and buy suits for him. And hey, you need to be improved a little. Let's take you over here and get you. And he said, man, that was nice. Sent a brand new white Rolls Royce to pick him up with a driver. And then the Lord said, I don't want you doing that no more because you're getting an appetite for that type of living, like the high life. But evidently at that point in his life, there's nothing wrong with God's prosperity, but I think maybe because he was a younger minister then and different things that maybe that would have tried to influence him. Again, so you've got to be careful who you let around you. That, and, and the things, here's another thing, you get an appetite for things that you really shouldn't have an appetite for. You know, I have people in my church sometimes and they can get, if they're not careful, they get frustrated because they don't, they don't have a ministry like I do right now. And they may never, I don't know. I mean, they could if they're called to it, but here's my point. And, and if they're just looking at what I'm doing now or what I'm, you know, where I'm at, then they, they think they want to be there in two or three years. And that's not going to happen. And if it does happen, it'll probably destroy them. Because, you know, you can't go from a poverty level to wherever I'm at now after 35 years and three years and not let that affect you typically. And you'd be a very special person that, uh, you know, whatever, you know what I mean, whether it's the money or the influence or the whatever. And you just have to learn to attend upon the Lord without these distractions. And he was saying to not get an appetite for wrong things. I remember one time he said that somebody went to a meeting, I think it might have been Brother Copeland's meeting, and 
was there, and then he, whoever it was, they, they had to fly commercial and rent a car or something, I don't know. And, and they were down, you know, maybe by the airport there, the private airport at Brother Copeland's, and got all depressed that they didn't have an airplane. See, now their thinking's not right. You have no idea what it takes to operate an airplane. Unless you own one, then you would know. But if you don't own one, you have no idea what it takes for faith and the amount of finances and to take care of all the insurance and the pilot and the maintenance and the fuel and the, uh, you know, on and on I could go with this. I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing some things out. It's not about what we own or what we have as a tool. It's about are we in the will of God. Remember, this is what we're talking about today. And we've got to be careful that we don't get an appetite for wrong things. You know, sometimes people see somebody uh, else. I don't know who else besides me that comes to the church and preaches and got a nice tape table. And, and, and you know, they're being taken care of and they're staying in a nice hotel. And they're, because we try to put people in it wherever we can if they want it. And I know five years ago I put all the word explosion speakers in downtown Louisville and they didn't like it. So I put them back over here. You know, at the time they said, we didn't like it down there. Wasn't nothing to do. We got the mall right here. And of course now we got all these other restaurants, different, different things. You know what I'm saying. I'm not complaining about them. I'm just talking. But do you see people come and they're being taken care of and they get an offering and they, you know, we help them and, and people could get an appetite for that. Think of that's all there is to their life. But there's a lot more to life than just their, what they preach and what they show up at a church for. A lot of background stuff has to be, because I do both. I pastor and travel, and I know what it takes to travel. It's, uh, it's demanding in some areas. So we've got to be careful, this is my point for all of us, that we don't get an appetite for wrong things, whatever that is. And this comparison thing, comparing ourselves and all that, or, 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 you know, or we get negative. How come my ministry hadn't taken off? Well, probably because of that attitude right there. You know, we're just talking about some basic things. You need to learn to be skillful in your own anointing. You need to learn to be focused. You need to learn to stay in the right room that God puts you in. For example, you know, for me, uh, God put me under Dr. Dufresne. So, like, I'm constantly being uh, taught and challenged and tweaked and I'm in his spiritual room. Now, I, I, of course, personally, I'm in his meetings. When I'm in meetings where he's personally present, I'm, I'm there. And then I watch the DVDs and I get the t And then I talk to him. And then we're together periodically several times a year in meetings or in private settings where we have opportunity to talk. And, of course, I can call him and vice versa. And we're in a relationship. This was my point. And so I'm in that room. I'm in that room. So, uh, you know, there's other ministers and ministries that are excellent and other ministries that do great things. We're not here challenging that. I'm just talking. But I don't have time to do that and that. See, because it's going to take my energy, my money, my time, and different things. You know, I had, you know, I had discussions with preachers over the years. I was thinking about one. And the gentleman, you know, and I was glad they felt like they could talk to me about it. And they said, well, you know, I have so-and-so kind of and so-and-so kind of. And I said, well, that's where we probably are a little different in our thinking. And maybe you're, maybe you're never going to be, you know, thinking like I'm thinking. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I, my thinking is I have one spiritual father. And that's just period. That's where my, that's where my focus is at. That's where my money goes. 
That's where my time and energy goes. And I don't have a lot of time to do the other things that you're describing, to go to so-and-so's meeting and then, and then I have this man in and this man in and this man. And they're all very high-level ministers. And, you know, and they had a different background than me. And I said finally, I said, well, it sounds like that this person and this person really helped you a lot through a very tumultuous time. Things are really messed up, you know, not from him, but he inherited some messes. And I said, it sounds like those men really, you know, were there for you. So, I mean, I'm not telling you you need to do anything different, but you asked me, right? And he said, yes, sir, I want to know what you thought. And I said, well, I'm just kind of a one-guy person. Now, I, not that I don't respect others and not that I don't appreciate, but I don't have time to do that anymore in my life. And I don't get so diverse that I'm not focused. This is the thing for me. I'm just big on being a focused person. And I'm not saying I'm right. I just think that's right for me. And I'm not criticizing you for anything. You know, we just had a good discussion, me and this preacher. But see, again, I'm talking about being skillful in my own anointing and being focused and staying in the right room that God put me in. Here's something to think about, and then we'll get into this other part. There will always be a lot of activity around you if you're truly called. There's always going to be a lot of activity around you if you're truly called. So don't let other things, I'll repeat this, don't let other things be a diversion to you. There's always going to be a lot of activity around you if you're truly called. So don't let other things be a diversion to you. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of things that people get into. I remember a preacher told me a while back, I, I don't know, as an outside, uh, <clears throat> outside person came to our city. I say our city, Louisville, a couple years ago. We're in the Louisville metro. I know we live in New Albany, southern Indiana, but... You know, we're not going to pick, throw stones about what I'm saying, where I live. And we live in the metro, Louisville metro area. And so this, this friend of mine was on the platform with this other well-known preacher locally. And the preacher leaned over and said, you know how to build your church, you have a lot of guest speakers. Now, see, that doesn't fit with my, my philosophy of growing a church. It's evident you do have a lot of uh, people coming through because you have a lot of well-known people that they watch on TV. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I just think it's wrong for me. Amen. That's not my philosophy of ministry. Amen. To build my Amen. church on uh, extra people coming to my church, just keeping your church. Oh, we got so-and-so coming next month. We got so-and-so coming. And, then, and of course, I do have people coming periodically like Pastor Webb and Pastor Cowan and Dr. Dufresne's coming in October and November here. Just for a couple of days here or there, you know, and, and think. But you see, we're not building our church on just the extra people we have that are well known. Yes. There's a difference there. I have a relationship with these other men that I'm having, and, and they have a relationship with me. Hallelujah. So anyway, we're just talking here a minute, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing, but here's my point. If you're not careful, you can get an appetite wrong things. You get an appetite for bigness just for bigness sake. You get an appetite for numbers just for numbers sake. I don't think God and those of us who are thinking right are always impressed just because somebody has a large, what you know, to the average church in the world we would be considered a decent sized church. Of course we're not that to me but you know but you know what I'm saying. Most churches at 80 80 to 90% of churches in the world are under 100 people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most of them 50 and under. Yeah. 
So, you know, statistically, you know, I'm not a statistic preacher, but I do know that statistic. And so to have a church of two or three hundred, that's some people, they say, well, that's a big church. Well, it's a nice church. It's a good church, this church. But I'm not a big church compared to churches with thousands of members. Hallelujah. So, you know, I don't know that God's always thinking like man's thinking. And a lot of other people are thinking. See? And of course, I'm not criticizing having a big church if that's what God has for you. But again, I have to be responsible for what God told me to do and not be distracted with bigness and just doing everything I can to have a big church. Now, we, I have to recently, and you could get ask my staff, I just talked to them, we've got to do something beyond what we're doing. And we, of course, we are doing some things so that we're growing. Amen. You know, we don't want to be the best kept secret in southern Indiana. Amen. Right, Amen. Pastor Debbie? Hallelujah. You know, Pastor Debbie's got a great church there in Ligoti. I don't even know how to spell Ligoti, but <laughs> I pronounce it. But she's got a good group in there. You know, however many was there that day, I was there on a Sunday morning for that size city. And man, they had church on every corner. You guys really got church per capita, don't you? You got some churches there. But see, now we need to grow our church. That's something legitimate we need to do. I want to pay attention to that, and I am paying attention to that. But I'm not willing to grow the church at just any expense and just, just any old way, just to have numbers. But there is a way to help people fit in better, and we're working on some of those ways right now and help people attach and have friendships and other things like because there's a legitimacy to what I'm saying. We're not talking about being seeker-friendly. We're not talking about compromising what we're teaching and preaching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we've got to be careful we don't get an appetite for the wrong things. See, this preacher that saw all those airplanes and felt depressed, told, told Dr. Dufresne or something, I felt depressed and discouraged I didn't have an airplane. I'm sure if one of the, just even the guy with the Piper Cub showed him his bills, he would have been shocked. You know, that's a little couple-seater, one-engine deal. If it's any count, even just to pay for fuel and maintenance and hangar fees and, you know, all the stuff. And if you don't fly it yourself, you got to buy it. you got to pay for a guy to fly it or a girl or whoever. So, you know, but his whole thinking's not right. He's comparing himself because he's in a rental car and he had to land at the conventional airport. See, that's just not good thinking. And you can get an appetite for things that aren't God's will for you or they're the wrong things and then you get yourself in a bad way, you know. Anyway, we're just, I'm talking, trying to help everybody. Again, I want to repeat this. There's always, there's always going to be a lot of activity around you if you're truly called. Now, why would that be? Because the enemy wants to distract you from being focused to do what he's called you to do. And I just recently told the new members in love, and I was very forthright with them. I think I was pleasant, but I said, you know, I, on your side of it, when you come into a church like ours, uh, it'll be your decision what, how much time you want to really grow up. If you just are Sunday morning people and you come every other week, uh, you're not going to be the kind of person like people that come every service. And, of course, I'm not telling you you have to come every service. Um, you know, I'm just saying, and you'll have to figure out what your commitment level is when you get, get involved with us here. Amen. Amen. But I can say this scripturally, the more you sow, 
like by being here more often, the more you're in the flow with what we're doing, where we're going. And eventually, as you get to know me and you get more familiar with the church and how, and I told them about Ministry of Helps, we're not pushing anybody into that tomorrow, but at the same time, when you begin to get involved with us and you begin to have some responsibility to be involved in the Ministry of Helps, to be a tither, if you're not already, to be a tither and help us financially be responsible and do some of these other things, then your growth will you know, continue to, to soar because you're meeting the qualifications of a person that's more committed than somebody that just comes once a month and right. never wants to do anything but just occupy a chair. Right. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't that true? You, I'm talking to the band here, the choir. You guys are all here on Saturday morning at 1130-something. So anyway, it's important that you see because whatever you're thinking about and whatever you're looking at and whatever you're uh, meditating on, that's the things that you're going to be involved with. So you've got to judge yourself a little. I'm talking about all of us, whatever we, whatever we do for God, that we don't get distracted and that we don't get an appetite for wrong things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I think maybe, <clears throat> well, I tell you, there's just so much in there. I don't know here. I've got so many things to go, go, go directions, but I think I'm going to go with this here maybe. Let's talk a little bit about how to activate the anointing in your life. First of all, it might help us if we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse... Uh, 21. I wanted to mention something here about this verse uh, because we're talking about activating your anointing. You know, first of all, we have an anointing within us. Before I read this verse, we have an anointing within us, which is the Holy Ghost. He comes in the new creation to recreate us, make us new creatures. Uh, he does that aspect of things and gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and then we have the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to do thus and such. So we have anointing within, which is the Holy Spirit learning to lead and guide us and teach us and reveal the Word and all. Then we have the Holy Spirit coming upon us for power to empower us for service. And that's what I'm talking about for the remainder of my time. And I don't have a lot of time. I may take fudge a little. You know, let the icing run off the side of the cake a little here. <laughs> and uh, about the anointing upon you. How do I get that anointing to work for me and through me better than it presently is? And by the way, there is a, ex what would I say, an expansion, a development of that anointing. I like what Dr. Dufresne says. I don't know if it's original thought or not, but I wrote it down because I heard him say it. In order for a stronger anointing to come upon us, we have to be prepared for it. So, you know, we could say, oh, God, anoint me, anoint me. I want to be used. I want to see miracles. I want God to use. And of course, you have to be called to a miracle ministry, typically. Every believer could lay hands on the sick and then recover. Every believer could cast the devil out of somebody. Every believer can speak in tongues and so forth and so forth. But then there are others that are called with specific things, but we're all called to walk in the supernatural and we're all called to have power on our life to accomplish something. Right. This is my point. I'm talking about that anointing upon us for service. 
And that's, that's what we want to talk about that just a little bit. And, I, and if I get going a little bit here and I, I finish it up, I may come back uh, in October, this September, right? Yes, and talk further about it. I don't know yet. But, you know, anyway, let, let me read this verse here. Second uh, Corinthians 1, 21. Now, he that establishes us with you in the anointed one and his anointing, and hath anointed us is God. Now there's a couple things in this verse. First of all, we can get established in that anointing. You know, I remember when I first found out I could even be anointed, that was a revelation to me. I never heard anybody say anything about that. That what do you mean to be anointed? What does that mean? <laughs> I didn't even know what the word anointed meant. Then secondly, that you could be anointed with power to do a certain thing or another, like a job description. Jesus said, the Spirit of God's on me, upon me, He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, deliverance to the captive, recovery sight to the blind, to preach deliverance to the captive, preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and yada, yada. That was his job description, and that was what he was anointed to do. And I like to say he was focused. Now, I realized, too, when he was saying that, when, he was, when Jesus was in the earth as a man, he was the body of Christ. So he had all those things in him, all fivefold offices, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And he had seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit. All of the gifts that were available in that covenant, he had those operating periodically through him, and he had the Spirit, the Bible says, without measure. Are you listening? Yes, but now that he's went back to heaven, he's distributed those things among us. Not everybody's walking in all five ministry gifts, and some aren't called at all to that. But even the ministry of helps us to be empowered because the book of Acts said that you should... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, upon you again, you shall receive power Amen. to be a witness Amen. or to accomplish a certain thing. Amen. That's what I'm saying it that way. So he says here, now, he that establishes us with you, that would be in the body, in Christ or in the anointing, and hath anointed us, notice that, is God. God is the one who anoints. You can't anoint yourself. You can't anoint one another Really. Now, sometimes somebody might be used to speak something over somebody that's being led by the Spirit to say that, that confirms something that God's doing in them or they're believing for or, or God is speaking a word to them in season. And that can happen. But, I, you know, I can't always anoint somebody, like, you know, give somebody something that if I don't have it. And he who eventually or originally and who continues to anoint us, according to this, is who? God. You know, like somebody said to me one time, remember my church, he, he doesn't come anymore, but anyway, uh, he said, well, you know, I think I got such and such a gift in me. I said, well, let me ask you, do you ever have any fruit out of that gift? You know what I mean by fruit. And uh, he kind of looked at me and he thought a minute and he goes, no. I said, well, then. You know, either you're not, you're, not, you're not using it properly or you're not extended, but if you attempted to pray for people that you say you're gifted to pray for them about and you don't have any results, then, you know, I'm not being unkind here, but you're just not anointed along that line. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean God's not anointing you to do something. But there needs to be some fruit, at least eventually out here, that denotes that there is an anointing on you to do that. Because, you know, people get frustrated and you'll get frustrated by saying you're anointed and then you never get any fruit, you never get no feedback. Then you're going to feel terrible and 
you're going to make people feel like they can't trust you. Hallelujah. I know this is delicate. Some of these things I'm saying right here is kind of complicated. It's more broader than what I'm making it sound like, I'm sure. Uh, but we need to understand it's God who anoints us. And this is what I'm after. I'm after walking in that anointing and not doing, and not doing things that impair or restrict or restrain that anointing. That's, that's what I'm after. I'm, and, of course, we know from our study, you know, we've taught this before. I don't know whether to go far, very far this direction, but we know and we've taught this before. Like with, uh, you know, King Saul, he was a highly anointed man. He wasn't really called to be king, but uh, people clamored for a king. And finally, God said, okay, I'm going to anoint this guy since they're just not going to let it go. Let's anoint him. And Samuel reminded him of that at a later time when he was about to lose his anointing. He said, now remember when you were small in your own sight and God anointed you to be king? Talking about King Saul in the Old Testament. But, you know, he began to be jealous of David. And jealousy caused him to forfeit that anointing. So, again, this is an issue we got to all deal with. Got to be cautious that... We appreciate and we're not in competition with other people who are highly anointed. Sometimes better, maybe I should say strong, more strongly anointed than you are. Yeah. That doesn't make us inferior, it just makes us in our call. And maybe if we're really called to flow in something, that comes with progression too. Amen. Remember we said learning to be skillful yes. in that anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we've got to learn to be skillful. One thing that will cause that anointing to wane on you or weaken and maybe even destroy your life if you're not careful is jealousy. Being jealous over other people and what they have and how God uses them. And I want to be used like that. Well, that's commendable if you see something that's legitimate to feel I want to be. But you have to also, it's God doing the anointing again. Remember, it's God, God has to anoint you to do that. Now, now you understand everybody can live their Christian life out. And live it out well and live it out good and live it out in power just by being filled with the Spirit and doing the Christian things that every Christian... I love what Patsy Caminetti said one time. I don't know if you know who she is, but she used to be with the Rhema Singers. And I think she's a missionary. And uh, anyway, she, her husband and her... But she came one time to Dr. Dufresne's meeting a year or two back and talk, talked to us about how to pray for a prophet. It was wonderfully refreshing and humorous and very spiritual. And one of the comments she made which I thought was tremendous because people get thinking so funny in their head she said now what do these great men of God do in between these momentous events in their life where God anoints them to do extraordinary things she said live like a Christian That's right. <laughs> what a statement yeah. sometimes if we're not careful we're into looking at you know, even events in the prophets' lives of the Old Testament or even into other ministry gifts and thinking, wow. Yeah. But they didn't do that every day of the week. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think, man. They just lived their life, you know. I mean, you know, what a, Naaman came over there to the prophet, but he didn't have people knocking on his door every day that we know of. And telling people to go down dip seven times in the Jordan River. That's my point. There could have been other incidents, but we, when we read it sometimes, we're not careful. We think he, we went, he went from that event to being anointed to outrun the chariot, to being anointed to kill all the prophets of Baal, all in one day and a half. The weekend conference, you know. 
And, and, and it may have been over a 20 year period yeah. where these uh, momentous events, I'm not degrading the events and the spectacularness of it, if that's even a word, but in between those events, events that were big and making and doing, he just lived like a Christian. Hallelujah. So I'm trying to bring some clarity here about this anointing, Amen. this empowerment that comes, and how do I activate that? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. And first, well, of course, we got to, we'll hear number one, let's just say this is, uh, <clears throat> we're thinking about it. Well, let, we don't even call this number one. We'll just say another comment and then we'll go to number one. Here, here's something Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Go back there with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Let's look at something. You know, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, back in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. And then if you want to, if you think you could, wouldn't mind doing that, you could be ready to go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at something here. But first of all, we read Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Is this helping anybody? We're talking about how do I activate this anointing in my life. This is what I'm trying to get over to us right now. How do I activate this anointing in my life? Well, first of all, one thing to know about it is this, that when we first come into some knowledge, this verse here, Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. So a lot of times when we're starting... We start where we're at and we start doing with what we are asked to do or what we see could be done. I remember when I first got saved, I was a carpenter's apprentice. I was young in the trades. I had a little, little bit of skill, not a whole lot yet. And I had all my tools, though, because, you know, we had to go buy a toolbox and fill it with the certain tools that you had to have to work on the job. And, of course, if I'd have been a journeyman carpenter of 20 years, I probably would have had a, a lot of extra stuff in my toolbox that, I would have known more about. But anyway, I started going to church, fell in love with Jesus, started going to church, except got saved, got born again. And I remember they, they came to me one time, somebody did, or called me on the phone. They said, uh, hey, we need some guys up at the church to tear out the old uh, altar area. And the old, it's in the fellowship hall now because they built a new building. We need them to tear out all that stuff. It's kind of, you know, heavy work and a lot of two-by-twelves and different things. Can you help us? Yeah, I can help when you want me to come. And they told me, and so I showed up with my tool belt, my tools, and I did that. And, you know, I, of course, I'm not doing that now. I don't think I have any tools left. And the other day, I tried to find a screwdriver. It's hard to find, you remember? Huh? Oh, Jacob don't have them. She's telling me I left them over at his house, I think. But anyway, just keep them over there. Yeah, he didn't see any tools. <laughs> anyway, so you know, whatever I, whatever I was asked to do, I remember they came to us with Pastor and I, she got, you know, she kind of, <clears throat> at first, you know, she fell in love with Jesus, but she kind of dragged her feet. You know, it was a Baptist church. She'd never been to church like that. She's been in a Methodist church and chapels on bases, and they kind of watered things down back then. I don't know, they may have some on-fire people now, but. It just wasn't much of a challenge. So we, we started going more regularly, and they came to both of us, and they said, you know, could you two help us in the preschool? We didn't even have children. You know, she wasn't pregnant. We didn't have any little kids or not. 
Well, yeah, what does that entail? Well, just show up. We'll give you a schedule. You'd be about once every other month, and we need you on Sunday mornings, and there'll be another couple maybe with you. I don't remember exactly, or maybe a lady back there with you, but we'd like you to both work in the preschool and help with those kids. That's two-year-olds, I think, two- or three-year-olds. We said, sure. So we got on the agenda, or the calendar, and, and we showed up, and we walked those little kids. We read them books and played toys and wrestled and everything else. Yeah. I looked like Grizzly Adams back then. Had a big old beard, you know. Hallelujah. Hard to imagine me like that, isn't it, now? <laughs> but see, what I'm saying is, whatever I was asked to do, I did it, and I was in th uh, thrilled to do something. I didn't, I didn't, you know, get off the phone and say, you know, or we get in the car after we were asked to do that. You know, I hate that. I don't want to have work with those little kids. I didn't do that. I was just thrilled to be involved at church. Mm -hmm. and, and so it says, whatever your hand, with, in other words, the, con the concept is, whatever's needed out of you when you first start in things, do it with your heart. Do it with some energy. Do it with some passion, some enthusiasm. Amen. You know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know things like that. I know you, you, maybe you can't picture me doing stuff like that, but I sure did. <laughs> I sure did and was thrilled to do it and did other little odd jobs around the church periodically with my tools and then I watched the pre... And then we'd been doing that for a little bit and they said, you know, we need some help with our teenagers. Pa uh, not pastor. Uh, Michael, could you help us? We got four seventh grade boys that don't, they don't have a teacher. Well, yeah, I guess I could. What does that entail? Well, we'll give you a, a quarterly, a little magazine type thing. You read the lessons and study it and then on Sunday you come in you teach these boys. I said, all right. So we're down in the basement. You know, then in Sunday school, we had a Sunday school hour, and we're down there teaching. My point is, things progressed, but we were always willing to help out where we were needed. It wasn't like we had to have a position, or we had to be, somebody had to bring us up front and, and tell everybody we, what we were doing. And so we, I worked with those boys, and I took an interest in them. I didn't just read the quarterly, and, and then that was it, and feel like I'd done my deal for the next week. I mean, I got their names, I got phone numbers, and I'd call those boys every week, me personally, on the phone, didn't I? I'd send them cards from me. I, I'd go, go visit them in their homes periodically and get to meet their parents. And, and hopefully when I called, one of the parents would answer, and I'd say, this is Mr. Jacobs from First Baptist, and I'm calling check on Ryan. And who's this? This is the father. And, you know, and try to get to know the parents a little, because sometimes their parents didn't come. And, and different things like that. I took an interest and I, I began to be involved with those boys. And, and then after we did that, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know the time frame, they said, well, we, we really need help now with our ninth and 10th grade boys or maybe it's 11th and 12th grade. I don't remember anyway. It was on Sunday morning. It was upstairs after we built the new sanctuary in the old, what used to be the old auditorium. They put panels in there, those sliding doors that ripple like that and blocked off room. So I, we did that. And then she took a class too. She did the girls. And then, then after we did that, well, they, I guess we were doing okay. And they came and said, you know, we, we really need some help on Sunday night. We don't want you to give up Sunday morning, Sunday school hour, but we really need help on Sunday night. We had in the Baptist, they had what called training union. And then what it was is a youth class for seventh grade through 12th. It's like 50 kids. So they said, uh, could you and your wife handle that together? You know, and, uh, and, and Michael, could you, you know, go in there and teach and your wife could go in with you and kind of relate to the girls? And we said, sure, we'll do it. So here we are. We're, we're teaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know, and, and uh, different things. What, what I'm saying is we, 
we began to put ourselves in a place of doing whatever was put before us, and, but we didn't just do it out of obligation like, oh man, these people are working me into the ground. And my wife can tell you back then, I worked construction, I worked long hours, I got up early, I lived in Xenia, I worked in Kettering, which is 25 miles away, and, and, and in my old truck, and, and, and go work construction all day long, and then, you know, try to drive back and get there for midweek service, and you know, and work some overtime maybe on Saturdays. And, you know, I was committed, and like many of you are. But see, God sees that and knows that. Is this helping anybody? I normally don't get into this much detail about my past, but I don't think any of you could see me with the tool belt and the beard, but I did that. <laughs> now go over to the New Testament for a minute, Colossians 3. I'm going to have to close in a few minutes, but I think I can get a few more thoughts out and maybe a scripture or two more. <clears throat> We're talking about how this anointing works. Somebody say, well, I don't want to have to do that, Pastor. Well, nobody's asking you right now to do, put a tool belt on or work with the preschoolers. But at the same time, this is my point. If you can't be faithful in doing the smaller things without the notoriety, you're not going to sing a solo maybe or you're not playing an instrument or maybe you're not asked to preach behind the pulpit, but are you willing to serve at whatever level you find yourself in need to be used. This is my point. This is how we progress in that anointing. I didn't even know there was such a thing as an anointing. <clears throat> uh, my wife and I were continually more <laughs> and still are it's enthralled with Jesus. Amen. And Amen. we said, you know, we, we need to do something beyond this. Amen. So I went to the pastor and I said, you know, uh, Brother Stevens, you know, Pastor Stevens, whatever. And uh, I said, uh, Diana and I would like to have a Bible study through the week for the kids and teenagers. Would that be permissible? And uh, I said, if you tell me no, I won't do it. And he said, no, I, I think that'd be all right. Of course, I'd been doing all those other things up till then. And so we went and, we went and bought a vehicle on purpose. That's the one I about tore the tar out of that I've told about my confessions. But we bought this SUV of the day. And uh, we would, it was on, I don't know, some, mid, some like Tuesday night or Thursday night. I don't remember. And, and we would just, the kids that wanted to come, we would just make a route and we would just go pick them all up. Of course, sometimes we'd have to start early to do that and go by and get a hamburger somewhere to drive through because of the time I got off work and got the car. And, and we'd go through Fairborn there and the surrounding areas and pick up kids. Sometimes we'd have 10 kids with us. Sometimes a few of them, their parents would drop them off at church. And the, and the pastor gave us permission to, to get in and have the caretaker of the grounds open the door. And we would, we would go in uh, one of the rooms and sit on the floor. And I would open the Bible and teach them a lesson and pray with them. And then afterwards, we'd take them somewhere to get ice cream. Back then, I don't know if they still have these friendly ice cream stores. They were called friendlies. I don't know if they have those around anymore. And we would take them there or someplace else, you know, to get a little bite to eat. And, and, and we were just thrilled to do it. Amen. And nobody, nobody was acknowledging a whole lot, you know, or anything else. We just thrilled to do it. Amen. See, we're talking about how did that anointing in your life get where it's at? Well, this is part of it. It's not a real not notoriety part. One day I was in that Bible study. I'll tell this story. I may have to close because this may take a few minutes. I was in this Bible study group and there was a young lady there. Her name was uh, Teresa Irwin. Right, girl? I said, uh, Teresa Irwin, 
And I said, that's your last name? She said, yes, sir. I don't know what she was, maybe a freshman then. I said, is your dad Chip Irwin, the policeman? She said, yes, sir. I said, does he know who's teaching this? <laughs> she said, no, sir. Oh, she did. She said, yes. Uh, I, well, I thought, I, I thought she said no. She said, yes. You want to help me, honey? You want somebody to bring you the mic? Okay, so she said, yes. And this... And she said, my dad's not a policeman anymore, I thought she said. And so I said, he knows that I'm teaching this. She, and I'm going to tell this story on me, you know. So back when I was a drug addict, I had a canary yellow van, pretty noticeable through town. <laughs> and one, one night I was coming back from somewhere and I was going through Fairborn. I just started out of Fairborn right close to the cement plant. That I've told the story about the divine supply and the silos there. I was just past that a little bit. And all of a sudden, two police cruisers flew by me. I mean, they had their lights on and they did a swerve thing like the old highway patrol movie. You remember that where the guy slid in front of the cars to stop it? And these officers jumped out and they said, get out of the van, Michael. And of course, you know, I'm drug head, you know, and you know, I got out of the van and the guy kind of threw me up against the van and I, I kind of went like, you better back up off of me type of attitude for me. I just got to understand where I'm at to know me, to love me. But. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy grabbed my arm and said, won't you come back here with me in the cruiser a minute? And so I don't know why, I just submitted. You know, this was Chip Irwin. This was this girl's father that said, come sit in the cruiser with me. So I, he put me in the cruiser and he, he sat down and he said, you know, if you want to be a hard something or other, my, my, my buddy here in the other car, he's going to beat the you-know-what out of you because, you know, the police, they don't like you anyway. I said, yes, sir. He said, I wouldn't recommend you start any trouble. He said, you know, I'm neighbor to your parents. I said, yes, sir, I, I know who you are. Chip Irwin, right? Yes, sir. He said, I thought I'd just save you half take you to the hospital because if you want to be a hardcore person, I said, these other policemen are ready to take you down. He said, we got to call you're carrying arms and drugs. Of course, I had drugs and arms, but not on me, thank God. <laughs> and I said, well, go ahead and check it. Of course, they were already checking. They didn't ask my permission. But he saved me that night from getting a real beating because I was really upset and I was ready to get in an altercation, you know. And he said, well, just sit and talk to me a minute. It'll be over in a minute. And if there's nothing there, we'll let you go. You know, he was just real calm about it. And I appreciated it looking back because I, I was mad and he knew it. And the guy that pulled me out of the van, he was mad. And I guess they thought they were going to get a big ribbon for busting me, you know. And I don't blame them. They're just doing their job. But this is this little girl's father. Three, but two or three years later that I'm teaching the Bible to. See, I'm talking about how that anointing works. So now I'm just, just in, within a year after I had that conversation with Teresa Irwin, uh, maybe a year or so, I think it wasn't much more, I went to seminary and I came back home at Christmas and the Lord spoke to him. He said, I want you to go by Chip Irwin's house and talk to him. So I came to his house, knocked on the door. He had two daughters and a wife and they were all gone and he was there and he said, well, come in, Mike. And, and, and so I came in and I said, you know, the Lord sent me here today, Chip. He said, I don't doubt it. And he said, I, I, become, I think is what he said, I've become alcoholic and I'm off the force now. And 
I said, well, you remember the time you guys pulled me over. You know how radical I was and how crazy I was. Yes, sir. I said, but Jesus got a hold of my life. And I know your daughter talked to you about me. I was the one teaching the Bible. Yes, sir. I heard about it. I said, why don't you give Jesus a shot at you? I said, I was addicted to substances too. And he said, my God, I need to. And he fell on his knees right there by the couch and I Amen. fell by him. And Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Led him to the Lord. And you know, he later came down to my house when I pastored in Otisco and brought his little daughter. And she's now about a senior in high school, maybe graduated and spent a couple of days with. Her. Here's an ex-policeman, ex-drug addict driving to J.C. to get some tater chips. <laughs> Had great fellowship too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How do you get anointed? Well, you do what you know to do. You start where you're at. Nobody was, uh, you know, telling me I was important or great, or, and I'm still not. I'm just trying to be a servant of the Lord. Amen. You understand that. I know I'm a son and all that too, but a son of God. But now let's look here at Colossians, and I'll close with this. Right, we didn't get very far, but we got good stuff in us, didn't we? How do I get that anointing to work? Put your hand to the plow and not be distracted and hook up properly. and Don't get pulled away by wrong things to influence you. It says here in Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And, and what I see in that, at least in part, is we're growing. We're growing. We didn't get to Luke 2. Let's go to Luke 2. You got a moment? Luke chapter 2. Let's look at something real quick. I wanted you to see this because this is how you begin to increase in this anointing. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and 52, those two verses, Luke 2.40 and Luke 2.52. It says in Luke 2.40, And the child grew, this is Jesus, and waxed strong in spirit. Notice that he became stronger in his spirit, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace or ability of God was upon him. You know, we, we're, we're going to grow in things of God this year in the mentoring. And you're going to grow in your spiritual life this year here too. And I'm going to grow. We're all going to grow. Hallelujah. And then verse 52 says, And Jesus increased, see here it is, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Well, we know if he did that, and he did, that that favor, at least in part, was not just blessing on his life, but the anointing increased on his life. The power of God increased on him. The anointing increased on him. And you know, it's going to increase on us too. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as we're getting focused more, you know, when we first start, we may not know what to do. It's just that we should do something. And then, you know, like I said, we just put our hand to the plow, so to speak. But as we grow in the Lord, this is my point for all of us to be something we're reaching for this year, that we're becoming more focused. Amen. We're becoming more focused. I, I am appalled sometimes at people that over a period of time, they're not more focused. I'm thinking of somebody now, uh, they're not here, but uh, they went away to a, a Bible school, not our Bible school, they went away to another Bible school and then was hired on staff at a certain ministry and was down there for four or five years. Now, they're not anybody here today. And, and so he came to see me in my office and I said, well, well so tell me, what's your, uh, where's your anointing at and what are you called to do? And he goes, uh, I don't know. I said, you don't know? How old are you? Well, I'm 25. I said, well, you've been down there for five years. Didn't you go to his Bible school? Yes, sir. I said, you went two or three years, didn't you? Yes, sir. 
and you were on staff for two or three years. Is that right? Yes, sir. And you can't even articulate to me in one sentence what you're called to do? I said, I call that failure. I said, I, I'm sorry to be so ruthless with you, but you're the one that left anyway and said you're going to Bible school and then was on staff and you're wanting to impress me with all that and I can, you can't even articulate to me what you're called to do. You don't even know if you're called to be a pastor, you're called to travel, you're called to work with youth, you're called to even, I mean, come on. And see, see, the point is, you, you, some people can be involved in things for a long period of time, and this is my point, and never get more focused. You know, I, Pastor Diana can tell you, we would have been thrilled. I think she's still like that mentally, I mean, because she has more of an affinity, and understand what I'm saying, she has more of an affinity to the youth than I do probably because I'm not just called to youth ministry, but I'm saying this to say back when we did that, we were willing to do that the rest of our life if that's what God had for us. We weren't trying to be a pastor. In fact, we saw how the people treated our pastor back home. We didn't have a lot of affinity to it. But we knew over a period of time as we got hooked into the local church and God started dealing with me privately and personally in my prayer time over a year and a half, over maybe six years altogether, but about a year and a half of really praying and seeking God. Back then I didn't pray in tongues. I, I, I wasn't spirit-filled, but I knew God was dealing with me. See what I'm saying? See, I'm still talking about getting in the will of God. And here now I'm, I'm a third-year journeyman. I got one more year to go. I'm already making 12 or $15 an hour in 1975. I'm making some good money. And I'm with a good company that works inside all the time so I don't get laid off when the weather changes. And a lot of things look like they're going well for me and I am so frustrated. I am so frustrated. Is this helping anybody? I'm going to tell this. Just, I'll be done just a second. And one night I said, Father, I have got to hear from you. So we went to bed. Pastor and I went to bed. It's 10 o'clock. She fell asleep. I started praying. I didn't pray in tongues back then. 11 o'clock, I was still praying. 12 o'clock, I was still praying. 1 o'clock, I was still praying. 2 o'clock, I was still praying. 2 o'clock in the morning, the Lord spoke to me. He said, get up and read Romans 10, 17, uh, 10 15. I said to the Lord, uh, I said, I, this was my question to him. You know, I've been praying for four hours now in English because I didn't pray in tongues. And I said, I got to know that you're calling me. I don't want to be going off somewhere doing something just radical just to be doing. Now, you know I could be that way, and I don't want to be that way. I want to be sure that I've heard from you about it. And you've always confirmed everything to me from your word that's important to me every single time. And now I've been praying four hours. I didn't remind him of that. I'm just talking to you. And he said, get up and read Romans 10:15." I got up and read Romans 10:15. What does it say? If they be sent, they're sin of God. I got up and went to the bathroom, turned the light on in there, got my Bible and read that and started screaming. Pastor Diana woke up, what's the matter, what's the matter? I said, honey, we're going in the ministry. She goes, you mean right now? And I said, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say that, did you? <laughs> Added that for effect. But here's my point. See, God... See, even though I wasn't spirit-filled, didn't speak in tongues, didn't know everything I know now, didn't know how to pray out, as we'd say now in the spirit, pray out the plans of God, I was sincere, and I kept praying. 
And that wasn't the only time I'd prayed for a long period of time, but that was probably one of the longest times I'd ever prayed in English for four hours. Mm -hmm. And I said, God, I've got to hear from you. I got to hear from you about this. And he gave me that verse to confirm. Well, from that moment on, I knew I was going. See, this is my point. I didn't know I was called to do exactly what I'm doing today. And if you'd have told me that back then, I'd said, you're crazy. I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, you know, you're going to do this. You're going to go around the world. You're going to be, you know, have 75 mission trips or whatever it is now about. And, 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 you know, and I'm still a pretty young man. But, uh, I would have said, what? You know, I, I, I don't even know where I'm going to school yet. I mean, I may be going down the road here five miles. But see, I, my, this is my point. I've continued my best of my ability, and sometimes I'm sure I've missed it, but tried to get more focused as I went to get in the perfect will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Yes, sir. And there's a perfect will of God for you. It may not be fivefold ministry. It may not be going away to school or d- different things. But, you know, when somebody gives themselves over to the things of God, it shouldn't be forever and then you can't articulate anything. See? And I noticed with this young man I'm talking about, you know, he's not here anymore, he didn't have a heart for the local church, and that bothered me. See? And he was trained by somebody at the time that didn't talk that in their Bible school. I think they now have a local church, or maybe a couple, but see, you know. I'm not trying to judge them. I'm just saying that's, you know, they didn't teach that a lot, you know. And my daughter, she went to that Bible school, but she said my, she, they tried to practically bribe her to stay, but she said, no, I'm going to go home. My daddy's going to mentor me. God. Thank you, honey. Hallelujah. God. Amen. See? Because she knew I had a heart for the local church. And I don't know if she consciously knew that, but I think she knew that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And it's only 12-12. Stand up with me, please. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this message. Pastor Jacobs has been in full-time ministry for over 30 years. He is founder of Church on the Rock and Church on the Rock Bible Institute. He travels extensively throughout the United States and the world. For product information or to partner with Pastor Jacobs, please call 812-948-5906 or write Church on the Rock, 4224 Mel Smith Road, New Albany, Indiana, 47150.